0: Come back. Sanders, look at me. What do you see in my eyes? Yes. Do you like jewels, Lily?
1: This is very old and very beautiful.
0: Please don't come any closer. I <coughs>
1: Cinema. As always, I'm Kristen, joined once again by Samantha. Samantha, it is Halloween week. Are you prepped with your costume? I've figured out the
2: costume, haven't pulled the trigger to get it yet. My boyfriend's going to be a basketball player, I'm going to be a ref, and our dog is going to be the basketball.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. You
2: <laughs> should we post pics of that.
1: You definitely yeah, it's going to be do. cute. I demand pictures. We are talking our Halloween episode about 1936's Dracula's Daughter, and we are joined by a guest that I'm so excited that she is Mm -hmm. on our Zoom with us today, the amazing Diana Prince. You might know her on The Last Drive-In as Darcy the Mail Girl. How are you today? I'm amazing. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited that you agreed to do this with us because I know that... Joe Bob has talked about your love of Dracula's daughter and your interest in it. This is a movie that does not seem to have as many fans as one would think for being a Dracula movie.
0: I am surprised by that. I just want to get the word out there. So more people would check it out, hopefully.
1: For Halloween, The Last Drive-In, there's all sorts of different spooky movies. But for you, when it comes to old Hollywood, what are the movies that get you ready for Halloween?
0: Any of the Universal is just a mandatory thing to watch. Always have to watch Frankenstein. Always have to watch Dracula. And then Dracula's Daughter's in there too. <laughs> <laughs> Do
1: you remember the first time you watched this movie?
0: I was pretty late finding this. I had not heard about it at all. I was shocked when someone told me about it. It's like, how is there a sequel to Dracula that no one talks about? <laughs> Maybe about five years ago? Was the first time I saw it? No, it was longer than that. Maybe like eight. Way, way, late. This is
1: 1936, directed by Lambert Hillier, with a screenplay by a bunch of different people, but it's credited to Garrett Ford, and it tells the story of the Countess Maria Zaleska, played by Gloria Holden, who is the eponymous Dracula's daughter. She decides that she wants to get rid of her vampirism by using a therapist, Jeffrey Garth, played by Otto Kruger, but the vampire in her takes over, and things go a bit haywire. Samantha, when did you discover this? Do you remember the first time you saw this? I actually watched
2: the movie for the first time this week in doing research for the episode. Yeah, this is a new discovery for me. I definitely consider myself pretty well-versed with Universal. It's just I'm more well-versed with the originals. I know we've talked before, Mystery of the Wax Museum is my all-time favorite horror movie. And I watch all the ones with Fay Ray. really the 30s. So it is crazy that I haven't gotten to see Dracula's Daughter. I guess it's more the sequels and the when you get into the 40s with Abbott and Costello that I'm not as familiar with. So this is on the precipice of that. This is the halfway point. You have one cast member from the original Dracula movie, mm-hmm. but everybody else has changed. And they say it's a high budget, but it still to me comes off as a little bit more of what you would see in the 40s when it came to Universal and what they had to offer. But the first time that I heard about the movie was through you, Kristen, when we did our top three discoveries of the year a few years ago. I knew as soon as you described this movie and everything that it offered, I was like, okay, I have to see this. But I hadn't even seen the original Dracula yet when you said that. I was so late to the Dracula movies because I was just really digging my heels. I'm a huge Boris Karloff fan. I have a massive crush on him. So I was like, anything Bela Lugosi God. in is not going to compare. I knew he was not going to be as good. I was like, okay, Boris Karloff can play anything. Bella Lugosi is just known for this one thing. I don't know. I liked Dracula. I only saw that for the first time a couple years ago. And now I'm finally getting around to Dracula's daughter. And I have thoughts.
1: <laughs> we have thoughts. I actually found out about this through Vito Russo's documentary The Celluloid Closet which I had not heard that there was a Dracula movie that involved lesbianism which was something where if you're a burgeoning film fan and you want to learn about film history watching that as an 18 year old and being like what this is a movie about lesbian vampires what's going on and then I watched it it's not I mean well exactly that kind
0: of bothers me that it's (laughs) Uh, And that's, it's fine if you want to read that into it. There's a scene in it. Yeah. Sexy scene with some sexual tension. If you want to look at it that way, it's overhyped as a lesbian film, for sure.
1: I'm excited to get into that because that is the movie's unfortunately big claim to fame is that, oh, it's got this subtext and this queer coding, which I love deconstructing and looking at the way that movies did get around the code, whether that was through coding about excess sexuality or just outright sex or all of these other things but when you actually watch the movie and Vito Russo's doc is a groundbreaking doc about queer coding in old Hollywood but you're being a bit disappointed watching this movie thinking that it's going to sure. be this real groundbreaker in 1936
0: I would love for it to be remade and be full on lesbian
2: yeah, yeah I, <laughs> like, that. I
0: think that needs to happen that would be wonderful it's just if you're going in for that then you're going to be disappointed for sure
1: so revisit the movie now that we know so much about actual decent representation and to watch it in context started watching it and noticing how thin the plot is it's barely an hour movie it's a very very small runtime and a lot of that's because this movie had an utterly bonkers production they were trying to do a film called Dracula's Guest, which is a chapter that's excised from Stoker's original novel. They released it as a short story after Stoker's death in 1914. And MGM, David O'Selznick specifically bought the rights in 1933 from Joe Bob's favorite person, Florence Stoker. <laughs> uh, and she sold it to them. The story is, is that MGM only bought it to screw with Universal because they knew this was the only thing they could get rights to. And Essentially, Universal had to pay off the nose to buy the movie rights from Selznick. The addendum was that they could purchase the rights that they only had until 1936, February of 36, to make the movie. And they started filming this without a finished script. And I think like you can tell that that is how this movie was made, just incredibly quickly, with very little script to it, because a movie with a title like Dracula's Daughter. Gloria Holden playing Countess Zelenska, I felt there would be more power to her as a character. She just shows up as this Athena-esque conception of a character, and everybody's afraid of her being related to Dracula. But they really just think Dracula's back. It has nothing to do with her being a woman. It's just they think he's come back. To read some of the other script ideas that they had, which we can talk about in a second... A, this movie was originally touted as far more in the Dracula mythos, and also way kinkier than the actual finished yes. product. <laughs>
0: I know there was a script where she was like a dom, which would have been... Yeah, with the, cool. she had whips and chains and all of this in a room. I want that version need <laughs> a lesbian dominatrix version. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were saying at one point James Whale, who directed Frankenstein, didn't want to make this movie... They went to him because he had had success and they were like, well, you're going to make this film and he really didn't want to. And the rumor is is that he was telling the screenwriter to write more and more weird stuff so that they won't make this movie if they think the (laughs) scripts are utterly crazy. And I'd like to think that that was James Whale. I'd love to think that that was something he had planned on.
0: I've heard a bunch of different rumors about that. Let's go with that because it's the most fun version. But I've heard it was just more of a schedule like, it's not going to work out, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, you also have the production code at that point. It's yes, definitely true. not going to allow anything fun. It's yeah, probably exactly. something More like, boring. Not than worth that. my time. Yes. <laughs>
2: even despite the production code, there are really some sensational moments in this film, though that even surprised me. I know you guys said you were disappointed by the lack of lesbianism. <laughs> as am I. But that being said, if someone tells me. Hey, there's a movie from the thirties that has tons of lesbianism in it. Aside from maybe Queen Christina, I'm going to think there's not very much lesbianism in it. So it almost surprised me how obvious it was, the little that was there. She's literally stripping in front of this woman. There's really no other way to read it in that scene. And even though it's one scene, it's really well acted. I really, more than anybody watched this film for Nan Grey because we had already recorded episodes about her. I was a pretty big fan of hers. Her performance is so good. It's an hour. She only has one scene. It's really worth watching just for her performance alone. I didn't know what to expect with Gloria Holden and her performance, but it was better than I expected to. They definitely could have done a lot more with her and really pushed the daughter of Dracula thing, because I don't think she even admits that she's the daughter of Dracula until two thirds into the film. We know that she is, but they definitely could have been like, I am the daughter of Dracula, and carried that through the movie. It has to do with her self-loathing. She doesn't really
0: want to admit it, even to herself, really. She's in denial of her vampirism, which you could see as like a analogy of homosexuality at the time.
2: So like, exactly. I think why people read into it like that. I definitely read it that way, combined with the scenes. It was really uh, interestingly written, and it You could even argue that that's James Whale too, because he was definitely LGBT. Maybe he worked those in before he left the (laughs)
1: project. This marked the end of an era, right? This was the last Universal horror film until 1939. By 1936, the Lemleys who had created the Universal monster concept were out of control of versus they were ousted out. So they said the new head of Universal at that time just didn't care about monster movies. And this was it until they brought it back in 1939 with Son of Frankenstein, which is an interesting comparison because Son of Frankenstein kind of is the same as Dracula's daughter in the sense that you both feature characters that are children of the prominent villains of those respective films. And yet, Son of Frankenstein is more of a comedy. Basil Rathbone's character is this very straight-laced, stiff-upper-lip character that is just trying to raise a very normal family in Frankenstein's old mansion. Whereas Countess Elenska, just from the minute she shows up, she is othered. She's a youngish woman, unmarried, no children, who is just traipsing around these different locations. Whether you take the film as coded or not, for 1936 audiences, she's a bit of an outlier because so many women were already married and had children by however old Countess Zelenska is supposed to be. She's not seen as a woman in her 20s. Hundreds of years old. (laughs) (laughs) There's something already different about her. What I've always noticed is you bring up that scene, Samantha, with Nan Grey, which is probably the most famous scene in this entire movie where she wants a woman to pose for her. Nan Grey shows up, which to read some of the production letters between the studio and the screenwriter about how that was going to be filmed they knew there was something there because they say there's no hint of sexualization it's clear that this woman is not new the screenwriters knew there was going to be pushback there loria holton as much as she hated making this movie has so much more chemistry with the women than she does with otto krueger who plays jeffrey garth the guy she wants to fix her of her affliction but when she's opposite someone like nan gray However you take the look that she's giving this girl, it's far more interested and passionate than whatever look she's given Jeffrey throughout this entire movie, or even that moment where she's lingering with Janet, played by Marguerite Churchill, and there's this question of what is their type of relationship? more fascinating than the heterosexual one that's being presented as her wanting this doctor to save her.
2: I didn't even really know that Otto Kruger was in this film until I started watching it. And I'm familiar with his work too. I know he's one of the leads in Cover Girl with Rita Hayworth and Gene Kelly. I definitely know his character from that. In that movie, he's definitely a paternal figure. It's definitely strange to see him just a couple years earlier as a love interest in this. I don't really feel like he fits the part super well. I know Cesar Romero was thrown around for this, and I would have loved to see that. (laughs) That would have been very different. (laughs) He would have been a lot more dynamic. I don't know if he necessarily fits the psychiatrist type, but it would have been more interesting. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) The weird element of this being about her wanting to be human, or at least not be a vampire, could have yielded something that was different. But the movie just doesn't seem particularly interested. It almost feels like Jeffrey and Janet are there because you need a heterosexual couple that's going to end this movie. They're this will they or won't they type of relationship where Janet's constantly the one bickering at him or playing with him. And he's the guy who's like, oh, I'm a doctor. I don't have time to deal with you and your woman shenanigans. (laughs) It's not going to end up with Zalepska because she's evil. So you need to have a couple that's going to give us the happily ever after. It's an issue I have similar to something like Cat People, which I love Cat People. Cat People's a great movie. But I'm always rooting for Simone Simone more than I'm rooting for Kent Smith and Jane Randolph. I'm sorry, but you guys are boring. I'm all for the woman who it wants to be a cat person.
2: I didn't even really care for Janet in this movie at all. And I think they totally <laughs> gloss over the fact that she's his employee.
0: I love Janet. But go ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Their dynamic is so strange. And you're right. It, it's a lot of henpecking, a lot of bickering, a lot of back and forth between the two. It doesn't even seem like a will they or won't they? It's just a maybe you should fire her and get out of this situation.
0: (laughs) That's true. Them together is not the best, but Janet herself is just so fun and playful that she adds life to it. I love her. She's the hidden MVP of this movie.
1: (laughs) It's a lot like a Glenda Farrell, almost. Like in Wax Museum, Samantha, you needed to have a woman with Moxie in the 30s. Yeah, That's a good word. It's a <laughs> word that does not get utilized. I do not get to drop it as often as I should on this podcast. Perfect. <laughs> good. And, and I almost wish that she had been center stage trying to detect what's going on with this type of relationship because no disrespect to Otto Kruger. I thought he was just, no, he's a doctor. He's the center. I would dangerous. agree with that. That's why I want Cesar
2: Romero. I think he would have been way more interesting, at least, if nothing else.
1: So look at all of the different production aspects that went into the scripting here. I have to wonder if a lot of this was because the script just was not where it needed to be. The earliest screenplay for this was in 1935. It starts out in the 14th century and it focuses on two engaged couples who go to Transylvania. They explore Dracula's castle. One goes mad, the other one goes missing and you get the Von Helsing character played by Edward Van Sloan, who is summoned, and he tracks the character to London, and he is essentially named in the script Countess Zelensky's right-hand man, the Sandor character. The British Board of Film Censors rejected it, saying that, quote, Dracula's daughter would require half a dozen languages to adequately express its beastliness. I don't know what was so beastly wow. in that script, <laughs> but it certainly sounds more intriguing, and You have to connect it back in some way to Dracula. This movie starts with the Von Helsing character. (laughs) Okay, this is clearly, we're going to go back to the beginning. It starts with a recap of what happened in Dracula. And yet we don't do anything with it. One of the things that I love
2: about the beginning and the recap part of it is when you're watching a movie like Dracula, you don't really think about... How is everyone going to explain all of these dead bodies? (laughs) Who is going to get arrested for this? If you say, oh, he was a vampire, I had to stake him through the heart. Is anyone going to believe you? Is that going to be like a viable defense in court? (laughs) Are you going to be acquitted? This movie asks those questions, which I love. If nothing else. (laughs) I always look at this as like the Halloween 2 of
0: Dracula. Direct continuation, but not. At all like it.
1: (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I always am cognizant of the fact that we didn't have VCRs, reruns. We didn't have cable or TV in 1936. So if you didn't see Dracula in 1931 in the theater, you weren't seeing it again. And yet this is five years after Dracula comes out. So there has to be some way that you're going to remind the audience of what happened. It's not like Bride of Frankenstein, where Bride of Frankenstein just starts... And it's like, ah, you'll remember what happened <laughs> to Frankenstein. There's too much of a gap. So they have to find some way to reiterate what went on. And I do love that we get the Von Helsing character saying, this is what happened. And also we get that really cool shot of Bella Lugosi's waxen bust as they yeah. go and discover his crypt, which allegedly that was the only thing Lugosi got paid to do on this movie. They wanted him in the movie, but for some reason it just didn't work out. So they paid him to make a bust of his face, which is a very baller move that Lagosi just got paid money to show up. And as Madonna says, give good face. Good for <laughs> him. <laughs> would we have necessarily wanted Legosi in this movie? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Even
1: for five seconds, it would have been
2: pretty cool. It
1: would have legitimized
2: this movie, I think, a little more than it was. I'm not the type of person to watch a movie from the 30s and point out all of the special effects flaws, but I will say it was very obvious to me right out the gate that it was Wax. Yeah. A little too obvious, even for the 30s. Legitimize is the word
0: for it. Him not being there, it just separates it. If he's even there, just dead. It's
2: it's the difference between a nice brighter Frankenstein-esque sequel and... A B, B, B sequel <laughs> where they just threw the name Dracula in with some random actors.
0: Totally,
1: that's what it, it feels like for sure. That thing necessarily, it's just not that. Hi everyone, Kristen here. Like what you're hearing? Then consider supporting us via Patreon. Like Ticklish Biz fans Beverly, Denisha Herrera, and Peter Blitzstein. You get access to exclusive content including two Patreon-only series, merchandise, and special gifts. You can even be a guest on a future episode. We've also revamped our tears and are over halfway to compelling Samantha to watch either The Godfather or Little Women, as well as episodes devoted to the 1976 biopic Gable and Lombard, It's a Howler, and the 1970 Weepy Love Story. All your support goes right back into making Ticklish Business the premier podcast for classic film lovers. That's patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Now, back to the show. Bella Lugosi looms so large in this movie. That was the big reason that Gloria Holden allegedly hated making it; is She didn't want to be typecast like Bela Lugosi was playing vampire characters. And I want to say that one of the reviews I read was like that AIDS and her character being so self-loathing is her disdain for the movie that she's making. Always get her confused with Judith Anderson, who was Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca, because both of them are very statuesque, raven-haired beauties. Gloria Holden really does make this movie as much as she disliked making it, because she's really the only one that stands out. A, aesthetically, because she wears all black. She's got some beautiful costumes. She's got that dark hair, those penetrating eyes. Everybody else just looks like they're from 1936. There's nothing really distinctive (laughs) about them, looks-wise. But I think at the same time, even though the script does not break down what being Dracula's daughter means, you know what that means to her, the... The self-loathing that is mentioned, she really plays that character as like, I'm bearing this horrific burden, not just of being a vampire and being 500 some odd years old, (laughs) but also having a horrible, horrible vampire father that killed a ton of people. The weight that she's carrying while also being able to pull off some great 1936 costumes is astounding. You have a lot of the homoerotic
2: subtext in a lot of these scenes where she's concealing her identity. It deals with a lot of deeper issues if you're willing to read that far into it. As someone who struggled with addiction, I feel like you could watch a lot of these scenes of her being like, I don't want to give in to the darkness as some kind of metaphor for that. And I think she plays that extremely well for the 30s. I really love her performance in that respect. I was surprised. Like I said, I didn't know going in what to expect with her. Because again, I regarded this as a B sequel type of film. And I didn't know what performances we were going to get out of these actors. But Gloria Holden definitely blew me away. They could have done a lot more with her to make her more dynamic in the script. But with what she was given, she did a really good job. She did
0: an amazing job. She's very, you can't... Stop looking at her. She draws yeah, you in definitely. so much. She's very powerful. Not exactly. quite the right one, but I think you get what I'm saying. She owns it so hard. It's she doesn't want to. <laughs> it's,
2: it's intimidating, but yeah. she also opens herself up and makes herself so vulnerable, talking Bad. about her loneliness and talking about what she's struggling with, which I think while, is really great, while still seeming so strong at
0: the same time and it's scary. Just, Yes, it's an amazing performance, honestly. It's a a lot of weight to carry. It's so sad to me that she didn't embrace it because she could have made this a whole career. Like She could be known up there with Legosi, maybe not at the time, probably because she's female. (laughs) Not get the same love, but as far as us now, appreciating her work and stuff, she should be known a lot more than she is.
1: It's always surprising to me when Halloween comes around and Universal trots out there monsters and really the only woman is the Bride of Frankenstein which yes. oh, I get it <laughs> the look is great it's iconic but at the same time the Bride of Frankenstein no disrespect to Elsa Lanchester who's great but she comes into the end of Bride of Frankenstein her and the monster are not suited for each other and you know <laughs> it's a tragic love story whereas Countess Zelenska is her own woman damn it yeah She (laughs) is anchoring her movie. The movie's not called Dracula's Offspring. It's Dracula's Daughters. (laughs) Yes. want that to carry some weight. So I wrote a letter to Universal just being like, where's our Countess Zelenska character? I want to see her in the theme park. Diana, you're a big cosplayer, of course. We see it every week on The Last Drive-In. Countess Zelenska, future cosplay idea? Oh my God, yes.
0: (laughs) I just would wear her outfit, the one with Head to toe, we just see her eyes poking out. I would just wear that to the yes. store. <laughs>
2: I want her ring, her hypnotizing ring.
0: Okay. The ring I don't get. Cool that it's hypnotizing and all, but it is ugly. Like if I was the costumer, I would not have picked that old lady ring. It's not intimidating.
2: I feel <laughs> like, like seeing it in crazy. color would make a difference. We don't I know what color not. it was. It just looks so beige
0: and boring. I don't know. It's not what I would have chosen. It only works because she has all the black against it. But if she's just had a normal outfit and you saw this ring, you'd be like, what's that?
2: (laughs) Do like a bejeweled timepiece or something, make Um, it unique.
0: And also they weren't super consistent with the hypnotizing powers. Because in the scene, the famous scene where she's getting the posing done, they seem like you're hypnotizing her, but she doesn't really act that way. She's still like, get away from me and screaming. And it didn't work very well.
1: That's an element that I noticed that I really dislike the feminizing of it because in Dracula, Dracula hypnotizes. He's got that piercing gaze, right? They have the camera close up on his eyes. <laughs> Sometimes you get that famous scene where he's got the handout and the eyes, but it doesn't need jewelry to do it. And exactly. I feel like that was exactly. a dude in 1936 mm-hmm. that was sitting there like, hmm, we can't let her hypnotize people. So what are we going to do? What if we gave her like, some girly thing would be able to hypnotize him. A ring! God, like- love jewelry? <laughs> <laughs> did you see some 1936 dude chain-smoking at a desk being like, women love jewelry? I gotta give them guff for that.
2: Uh-huh. I feel like that goes right into how they could have made her more dynamic as a character. That's just one of several examples, I'm sure, <laughs> that we could think of if we sat around here long enough. I will say, on the other hand, talking about other women of horror, I had just brought up on the last episode that Carrie Bible and I just did a little bit of a mini retrospective cooking of women in horror, and there aren't too many. You're right. When we got all of our choices together and talked about different women in horror, the real running theme, aside from maybe one or two, is that they had no lines, (laughs) Bride of Frankenstein didn't really have any lines, and then our other famous example before that, you've got Mary Philbin in Phantom of the Opera, totally silent film where she really has no lines. So that's definitely a running constant through women in horror, and I'm glad that she's able to carry her own film here for the most part. I wish they could have given her more to do. There's always room for improvement, but for what it was, she was really setting a precedent. For sure. And it's kind of swept into the rug, which
0: is unfortunate. Exactly. And I it, just it bugs me so much. Bride of Frankenstein. I love her look. I love the way she played her. Love the character in that sense. But it's always portrayed as they are this amazing romantic pair. And they aren't. She hates him. Why is everybody yeah. ignoring that? She does not want to be with him. So like all this cute merch where they're together and lovers. No, she hates him. <laughs>
2: Not only that, she only appears in the last five minutes of the movie yes. and just it, stands there and screams, says, No, line. don't want this. <laughs> and it's such a shame. And this is something that I talked about last week. I love Elsa Lanchester. And one of the things that I find most distinct about her is her voice. I would have loved to hear her say some lines. But we have some really great examples of the 30s here, which honestly, and if it weren't for people like Kristen talking about this movie, getting the word out about this movie, I wouldn't have even known.
0: Well, I'm glad we're talking about it now. So hopefully some more people will go check it out.
1: Something to remember. This was only Gloria Holden's second credited film ever. Her third movie ever. She was in one film uncredited as a party guest. But she also did Wife Versus Secretary, the Clark Gable, Gene Harlow, Myrna Loy rom-com the same year this came out a couple months earlier. And then she did this. I know she hated it. But to make your second movie, a starring role like this, that's pretty good. I don't know anybody that would look that gift horse in the mouth. Come on, Gloria. I worse. know.
0: Embrace it. It's so sad, honestly. There's so many people, women especially, that just don't embrace their horror backgrounds that we consider icons that won't get into much. But I just want people to see how amazing it is to get to be part of that and i feel like if she's around now she'd appreciate it she'd be at cons and we all let her know that we love her but back then horror was super looked down on and it wasn't like a, a bragging right and that's so sad to me
1: she worked fairly consistently after that it doesn't look like she ever did another horror film she generally did a lot of dramas some westerns a lot of romantic comedies usually playing Third or fourth build. She did more than one movie, Shirley Temple. I don't know if necessarily or the rest of her career lives up to. Yeah, (laughs) this is the role that, for better or worse, defines her. And I think you could be defined by a lot worse.
0: I know. Oh, she just embodies it so well. Like she is so good in this.
2: I will say the silver lining of it is Nan Gray and the fact that she went on to do more horror. I love that for her. And I think she embodies the perfect stereotypical scream queen in this. Some girl power moving forward in horror, I consider that a win. We'll take it.
1: I do want to throw out, speaking of that scene between Nan Gray and Gloria Holden, just to hear the amount of different people going back and forth on whether that scene is queer coded or not. It says more about the people writing about the movie than it does necessarily the movie itself. So Vito Russo's whole thing, when he brought up, the movie subtext of the celluloid closet, he brought up that its original advertising used the tagline, Save the Women of London from Dracula's Daughter, which, okay, that's certainly <laughs> something. The New York World Telegram noted that the Countess had a tendency to wander around, quote, giving the eye to sweet young girls. But then the New York Times' review totally missed that element entirely and said, Don't bring your kids to see it. But then Entertainment Weekly later described the film at some point, the scene between the Countess and Nan Grey's Lily as, quote, so hot, it's impossible to imagine how it ever got past 30 censors. What? So, I don't know
0: what people are watching.
1: different I I definitely am the first person to say homoeroticism. I love seeing it in classic film, but not everything is Ben-Hur, where it's just so overt does have queer coding it's certainly very dated to 1936 concept is she's predatory if you're reading it as queer coding then it's not positive Uh, for sure vampires (laughs) that are coming to take your women that's definitely an element that sure if we're charting a trajectory from classic film to today we've only gotten better in terms of the depictions of the lgbtq community in horror and other genres that Entertainment Weekly review to be like, oh, it's so high. No, I think that says more about you writing it than it does yeah. the actual scene. You know, watch Nan Grey when she pulls her straps down and you just see her bare shoulders. That is pretty sexy by 1936 standards. It's like in the olden days when they weren't allowed to show their ankles. It is definitely sexy, but it's not meant to necessarily titillate.
2: The 30s is my favorite decade. I watched so many 30s films. So I would say by 1930s standards, this is a lot. And whether you want to read it as queer or not, just the visuals, I am very surprised got past the censors in 1936. So right, even if it has a queer reading, even if that was intentional, it's negative, (laughs) which isn't great but it's definitely something that should be pulled out and studied for that reason too just because for the time i do think it was definitely unique
1: His frustration is that this movie has not been remade in the sense that nobody's even attempted this is hollywood we remake everything okay and we've made no effort to remake this even when universal announced rest in peace the dark universe series of movies which not all of them Okay, most of them were not good. But the fact that we didn't even consider putting this movie in the bevy of movies that were greenlit, it just frustrates me. It makes me sad because we need more women. Are you telling me that the only woman we're ever going to get in this universal horror franchise is The Bride of Frankenstein? I demand we reconsider this. If the dark universe ever comes back, I want it to have some type of remake of this movie. That still
0: works. We can have a new
2: Hellraiser
0: movie out. Yes. As we're, as we're going over this, in the back of my head, like, how can I remake this low budget? What can I do to get around it? Could it be a fan film? Could I not use the word Dracula? Because I really have some ideas for this. And it's I really mean, scary
1: I, mean, I want it. Do the Nosferatu thing. Nosferatu proved to us that you can kind of make the same movie just as long if you don't exactly use the name.
0: Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Let's not put this pot out so no one gets my idea. I want to do it. <laughs>
1: it's fine. If you pull it off, just remember us fondly. I you will. You get to fruition and you become a big, big success. Because no doubt it will be an Oscar winning thing. <laughs> I would want it to win. You all. know, I wouldn't even want
0: to. squeezy, <laughs> pump up the lesbian <laughs> Pump up the Matrix. Pump up
2: all of that. I'm imagining a Jennifer's body mood with a yeah. classic Dracula feel to it. I'm excited about this, actually. I mean, we,
1: can't, we can't get it proper. I know they've tried to make Carmilla a couple of times. Nobody can pull it off. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's too many dudes in the kitchen, you know, in terms of executives and people that are feeling like they know how to tell that story. But there needs to be more or women in the vampire genre that have something to say. This movie could have had something to say, but it was 1936 and we couldn't say it. I'm supportive. I don't often support old Hollywood remakes, as most people know. I also support
2: it. You bring up the dark universe, and I feel like that's such an interesting point because I feel like these modern studios, they're really pulling at the same movies over and over again. The fact that they would rather take a script like The Invisible Man, take an idea like that and gender bend it and turn it into The Invisible Woman and then take a genuine already most heavily female script that's great or has great room for improvement, that says a lot about Hollywood. You've got perfect stories right here just ready to be made, but instead you'd rather just change this one all around. I don't understand it. I would have rather had someone do a remake of this film with some badass women than have them remake The Invisible Man like they had intended with Johnny Depp or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I would much rather have this than another mummy with Tom Cruise. This is your reminder that the mummy with Tom Cruise is awful. And oh, that yeah. it exists because and I already it forgot
2: existed.
0: it existed. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tom Cruise and I love The Mummy, so I have a soft spot for it.
1: It takes all kinds. That's why we do this show to remind people that even a bad remake can lead you to a good classic film.
0: True. Very true.
1: There's that. Final thoughts on Dracula's Daughter. It's worth a watch. I stand by my thoughts that it's definitely a movie that feels like it was rushed out with very little script, but lack of women in the universal canon, L'Oreal Holden's performance, the coding, whether you want to take it as queer or not, all of it makes it far more memorable than it has any right to be. I appreciate it for that. Diana, where do you fall on Dracula's Daughter?
0: Pretty much the same. It's beautiful. I love the atmosphere. It's a good movie to put on and just get lost in for a while. So definitely, if you haven't seen it, I
2: definitely beg you to go check it out.
1: It's on for yourself. Samantha, what about you?
2: It definitely blew my expectations out of the water, honestly, as far as what I expected. Gloria Holden's performance is great. Like you say, the script could have been better. She could have really put her full force into it if the script had been better. But for what it is, she's great. We'll say Nan Grey and him Blue in the face, but I just love that scene so much. And I love her whole role in it so much. It's worth watching just for that alone. I really do.
1: You can let us know your thoughts on Dracula's daughter. Get in touch with us on all social media platforms. Let us know what you think. I am so honored that you were able to come on the show and talk to us about this movie and tell people that they should definitely go see it. I second this. Where can fans find you online? Feel free to let them know about anything that is coming up.
0: I'm not a big promoter, but we do have the Halloween special. I'm not supposed to talk about it yet. Elvira and Jill Shulman are on the Halloween special. Two yeah. of my all-time favorite women of horror. So this is a big one for me. Yay, check
1: that out. Yes, on Shutter. It's on Friday.
0: October 21st is when it debuts. And then after that, it's on the But if you watch the live feed, tweet along with us. It'll be fun.
1: I will be there. I always watch live. So yay. We get yay. And then... when
0: people watch it live, so. <laughs>
1: if you want to give your Twitter. Yeah,
0: Twitter, kinky underscore horror. Instagram, Diana Prince XO, and TikTok, I hate because they censor me so much, but I'm Darcy the mail girl on there.
1: That's going to close out this edition of Wish Business. As always, we are on all social media platforms, Twitter at TickWish underscore biz, as well as Instagram and TikTok at biz. You can find me over at journeys underscore film. Please, please consider pre-ordering my new book from TCM and Running Press, but have you read the book You can find it wherever you buy books. It'll be out March 7th. It's going to talk about a lot of classic film, old Hollywood film adaptations, including some great universal films that I can't think of right now, but I'm sure it'll be awesome. So Samantha, where are you on the interwebs? You can mostly
2: find me at Classic Film Geek on Twitter. I'm always posting film reviews, recipes. You can find my blog at musingsofaclassicfilmatic.com and you can find my Cooking with the Stars posts over at Classic Movie Hub.
1: And you can find us on all podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Reviews always help, and we would love to see you leave one for us. Nothing short of five stars, please. And if you want to help us get some of our Patreon goals met, we are at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. We are one away from 30 subscribers. We would love to do a bunch of other bonus content. We have some great swag that we give away regularly. Pins, free movies, Christmas is coming up. We give our patrons a lot of great gifts as well as our upcoming bonus episode of Double Features where me and William Viviani talked about the dueling versions of Village of the Dam, which was a lot of fun to talk about. And we also have our Based on True Podcast episode on Blonde so that you don't have to watch two hours and 47 minutes of Marilyn Monroe suffering. We will be back. We wish everybody a safe and happy Halloween children.